Wow. When we think about what the Lord Jesus did on the cross of Calvary for us, why wouldn't we be Christ-centered in our approach to life and service? Why wouldn't we be cross-driven in carrying out our mission of spreading Jesus' gospel message of grace? Why wouldn't we be Bible-based in all that we believe and all that we practice? Those things need to be reality in our lives as individual Christians if we are going to be a healthy church, a First Baptist Church Carol going to be a healthy church. We've got to be Christ-centered. We've got to be cross-driven. We've got to be Bible-based. We also read in the New Testament that if we're going to be effective in fulfilling our part in the cause of Christ, we must be a church made up of serving saints. Jesus expects us to respond to what he did for us. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. He died for us one time on the cross of Calvary. He's not going to be crucified again. But we do read that when we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We grieve God whenever we rebel against God and don't do what he would have us to do. We find that if we are going to be a healthy church, we need to recognize that we really are saints and have an, an idea of what that means. We need to know that we are intended by God to be servants. And amazingly enough, every single believer, every single follower of Christ is also called in the New Testament a priest. We are a kingdom of priests. This morning we want to consider what it means to be all of those different things. First of all, we need as members of Christ church, we need to know that we are, are saints. And there's a common misunderstanding about that word saints. A lot of people believe that and teach that saints are a special group of super-Christians. That most of us are just supposed to be Christians kind of down here someplace, and then there are going to be saints, and man, they're way up here. They really live for the, for the Lord. They are super-spiritual. They're sold out for Christ. They're on fire for Christ. Everything they do is to be in obedience to the Lord. Well, let me tell you, God doesn't have a double standard. God's plan is for every single one of us who've been beneficiaries of the shed blood of Jesus Christ to be on fire for Christ, to be dedicated to Him, to live our lives for Him, to be holy in our approach to all of our time that we are down here on this earth. But there are some that have this idea that saints are, are super Christians. In fact, there are those that think that, the, uh, that people get to be saints if a church, particularly the Roman Catholic Church, names them as saints. And usually they have a few things that they have to, to do to qualify for. Usually there has to be a report of a miracle and, and a certain kind of life. And then after so many centuries, uh, a panel in the church will say that somebody, so-and-so, is a, is a saint. Well, that, that may be what uh, common understanding is. That may be what thinking is among a lot of people and in some churches. The fact of the matter is when we come to the New Testament, we find that the truth is that every true Christian is a saint. In uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes to the, the, the believers there in Rome, and he says, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, very similar. He writes to these folks in Corinth, and he says to them, 
I'm writing here to the church of God, which is at Corinth, those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. What he's saying here is people in Corinth are called to be saints, and believers everywhere are called to be saints. You go to 2 Corinthians, you find he calls the Corinthians saints again. You go to Ephesians, he calls the Ephesians saints. You go to Philippians, he calls the Philippians saints. Same things in Colossians. And uh, Jude talks about all believers being saints as well. The fact of the matter is, if you're a Christian here this morning, you are a saint. You can uh, put that word saint in front of your name, not as a uh, not as a title of pride. Maybe it's a title of gratitude, a title of appreciation, a title of recognition uh, of who you are. Because, by the way, you didn't become a saint because of what you did. We became saints because of what Jesus did for us as he died on the cross of Calvary and made forgiveness of sins available to us. We are called to be saints by God. We see that in, in the, those letters that Paul wrote. He talks about believers being called to be saints by God. It's a work of God, a work of grace in our lives. And we think about the Corinthians. If you read through First and Second Corinthians, you find the Corinthian church was not the ideal church of the first century. The church at Corinth had problems. Church at Corinth had problems because people, Christians in the church at Corinth, had problems. And the amazing thing that even that church, with all of its imperfections, the believers with all of their shortcomings, when Paul writes to those folks that, that, that probably had some unbelievers in the church as well as believers, but he writes to those believers in that church, and what's he call them? He calls them saints. He calls them saints. Fact of the matter is, all believers are saints in Christ Jesus, as he spells out in Philippians 4.21. It's through what Christ did for us that every single believer is a, a saint in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not something we should be proud of, but it's something we should recognize when we realize what a saint is. Uh, the, the, the term saint... Uh, comes from the Greek word agios, which means holy one, or to, to be holy, to be a holy one. And to be holy is to be set apart, is to be special, but, but special in the sense of having a special purpose. Christians are set apart from sin and the world. You and I don't have to be dominated by our sin nature. We don't have to be like the ungodly world that, that we, we live in. We don't have to go along with the flow. We can stand up and be different. We are to be different. We are to live for God. We're set apart from the world. We are set apart to God, set apart for His purposes. Let me give you an illustration of that. We have in our home a holy pot. Uh, that, that pot is set apart for popcorn. That's all we use it for. In fact, we got a top you can put on it, and it's got a crank on it. It's called a whirly pop. And you put a little bit of uh, olive oil or coconut oil in there, and you throw some kernels in there, and you crank that thing, and in no time you got, you know, got a nice big pot full of, of, of popcorn there. That's the only thing that we use that pot for. My wife doesn't cook spaghetti sauce in that. Uh, I don't use that pot to clean parts with automotive part cleaner or anything like that. If I did, I'd probably get strangled. 
But that, that pot is for one purpose, to be used for popping popcorn. Anybody else got a popcorn pot in your house? Ah, I see a few hands around there. You know what I'm talking about. That's a holy pot. Not, not that we bring it to church and it's not blessed, but it, it's set apart. Set apart for the purpose of popping popcorn. You and I are not perfect. We're not sinlessly perfect. But we are set apart for God. We are saints. We're set apart to be holy, to not be like the world. We are set apart to be like the Lord Jesus. And we are set apart to have an, an intimate relationship with the Lord. And this relationship as a saint is a privilege, and it is a blessing to have that kind of a, a relationship with the God of the universe, with the Savior who died on that cross at Calvary for us. And we are, we are set apart, basically, to live for Jesus, not for ourselves. If you're a Christian... Your life shouldn't be all about what you want. It shouldn't be all about uh, comfort for you and, and comfort for me and how I want to go through life and the things I want to do and the goals that I have for myself. We find that as we go through the Scriptures, that if we're Christian, we're not our own. We're bought with a price. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in this world for Him. We're left in this world to, to do something in the cause of Christ. In Matthew chapter 11, he calls people that are weary and heavy laden to come to him for rest. And one of the things he says, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You know what a yoke's about? A, a yoke's what you put on an animal so you can get that animal to work. And a yoke for a Christian, which is, by the way, he says, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, it's, life is about, for a Christian down here, living our lives, making them count for Jesus Christ, no matter what we're going through. Whether it's serving in the church, whether it's being a Christian in the hospital, whether it's having a testimony for Christ at work or at school or in the home, uh, be, being a husband in a home. It isn't about me being the king of my castle and running things the way that I want to. It's about having my home be the kind of home that Christ wants it to be. Being a Christian husband, being a godly father. Same thing with a wife in a home. It's not just about a wife uh, having all of her needs met and her husband exists to meet her needs and her kids all exist to meet her needs. No, it's all about living for Jesus Christ. In any area of life, am I living for Christ? Is he number one in what I am, am doing? Romans chapter 1 says that we've, we've died to sin so that sin won't any longer have dominion over us We've been baptized into the death of Jesus if we were saved, and we've been raised again to walk in newness of life. Not the old life we walked in before we were saved, but a new life where we live for the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read in verses 14 and 15, it says, For the love of Christ compels us. When you think about how Christ loved you, the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Jesus died for us so that we can live for him. Make our lives count for Christ. Galatians chapter 2. Anybody know what it says in that chapter? And that passage in Galatians 2, verse 20. I am... 
crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not about you. Not about me. It's all about Jesus. That's what it means to be a saint. We must recognize that we are saints and live accordingly in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in school, at work, in our local church involvement, in every aspect of our life. It's all about Him. It's all about Christ. Not about me getting glory, not about me being comfortable, not about me getting praise and, and credit. It's all about Him. Secondly, we need to recognize, and in a healthy church, members do recognize that we are servants. We are servants. Flip over with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to show you part of the Lord's plan for the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it's talking about Jesus. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets. Now, there are no longer apostles and prophets on the earth. If you back up to chapter 2 and verse 20 uh, of uh, Ephesians, you'll read that the apostles and prophets were the foundation of the church, Christ being the chief cornerstone. We're no longer laying the foundation of the church. The apostles and prophets have been here. The, the New Testament we have is a product of God's ministry through the apostles and the prophets. So... He gave the apostles and prophets. They're not around anymore. But the, he also gave uh, some evangelists, who are the equivalent of our modern-day missionaries, and, and some pastors and teachers. God does raise up some special people with a particular purpose. And here's the purpose. So he, he raised them up. He gave them for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, sometimes people misplace a comma in there. And that they read this verse this way, that, that evangelists and pastor teachers are for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, they read it that the uh, pastors and, and teachers and, and evangelists equip the saints, but then the pastors and teachers also go on and do all the work of the ministry. That's not what the verse says. It says, pastors, teachers, and evangelists equip the saints for work of ministry. You get that? It's not pastors and teachers that do all the work for the Lord down here. It's not a, a clergy and a laity type thing. It's all about a servant type thing. Where all of us are servants of Jesus Christ, equipped to serve Him. That's what the word ministry means. To minister means to serve. To be involved in ministry means to be involved in, in service. Now, some are involved in a, and I don't know a good phrase. I don't like full-time Christian service. I don't like professional ministry. But there are some that do serve as pastor teachers, some that serve as missionaries. But the fact of the matter is God's plan is not for there to be a sharp division between laity and clergy, but rather God's plan is for every single believer to be living his life serving Jesus Christ you ought to be as committed to serving Christ in your life as any pastor, as any missionary. Sometimes we admire a missionary because, oh, they go to a foreign field and they're, they're giving their life for Jesus there. Well, it's great that they do that. 
the fact of the matter is God expects you to be giving your life for Jesus right where you're at and the job you're working in and the family you're living in and the school that you attend. It's all about all of us giving all of our life to serve Jesus Christ. We're to be equipped to serve. And you know how you get equipped to serve? You get equipped from this book. As you're taught this book and the Spirit of God takes this book and uses it and works in your life, you're equipped with truth to go out and live this in this world. Now that's what it's all about. In, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we, we read in verse 16, all scriptures God breathed. And it is profitable for doctrine and it's profitable for rebuke and correction, instruction in righteousness. And, and if you go on down in verse 17, it says that the scriptures also are, are, are to, to given to us so that we, the man of God will be thoroughly equipped, thoroughly furnished for every good work. So we find that as members and servants, we are to be recognized. That, that's our plan. And, and by the way, that is a privilege. Well, when you saw the blood on Jesus' face in that video, you saw the crown of thorns on his head. You saw them driving the nails in his hands. You saw that, that cross dropping in the hole and him wincing in pain. And, and that was just some actor's portrayal, very vivid portrayal. But that's not fiction. Jesus really did that for you and for me. It is a privilege to serve him. What can we do to give back to him for what he's done for us? We can't ever do anything to deserve what he's done for us, but we can certainly show our appreciation, can't we? We can show our gratitude by serving him enough to take that good news of the gospel message and share with the guy that lives next door to you, to share with somebody that's in class with you, somebody you've worked with for 30 years, that, that, that person in your family that maybe the rest of the family thinks he's the weird uncle or whatever, Maybe he's weird because nobody shared the gospel with him any place along the way. We think about what Jesus did for us. It is a privilege to serve him. And he equips us to serve him. And let me tell you this. He expects us to serve him. Every single person in this room will one day stand before Jesus Christ. If you're here and don't know him as your Savior, one day you'll stand before the great white throne. And if your name's not found written in the book of life, you'll be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. If you're a Christian, you'll stand before the bema seat of Christ. And the thing that, that is an issue will not be whether you're going to go to heaven or whether you're going to go to hell, but the issue is what are you going to do for all of eternity? What, what, what role are you going to have? What, what opportunities are you going to have for all of eternity? I'll tell you what, your opportunities for eternity are going to be based on your faithfulness with the opportunities and privileges you've been given in this life. And if we're not faithful in the small things here, is the Lord going to trust much to us for eternity? And we will care. We will care what we get to do for the Lord when, when we uh, enter into eternity. By the way, this life is so short, isn't it? This life is like a vapor. This comes and it goes. Man, we better make it count eternity we better make count for the Lord Jesus Christ we also find that members in a healthy church also recognize that they are priests that we're priests 
Uh, every Christian is privileged to serve as a, a priest. Go over to, to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 9. And we read this, this amazing statement concerning who we are in the eyes of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Says the following, he's talking to Christians here, says, But you are a, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What that's saying here is if you're a Christian, you're a priest. And here's another area where many times there's a misunderstanding. In the Old Testament, there were priests. The, the priesthood was a special thing. Priests in the Old Testament functioned as, as representatives of God before the people and also representing the people before God. When people in Israel brought their sacrifice, they brought them to the tabernacle or the temple, and the, the priest would offer the sacrifice for them. Uh, there was even a king that offered a sacrifice for himself, and he got in big trouble for that before the Lord. Uh, the, the, the people needed a mediator. They needed a go-between. Uh, the, the people could have fellowship with God, but many times they needed this, this mediator between them and God. They needed this priesthood. And there are those that want to carry the Old Testament priesthood over into the church age, and they have the idea that we still need priests, uh, that we need priests to be the ones that teach us the Scripture. We need a priest to be our go-between between us and God. We need to be able to confess our sin to a priest, and then that priest will intercede for us before the Lord. And that's the idea that they have. Uh, but with what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, he did an amazing thing. In fact, God very graphically demonstrated a tremendous change concerning the priesthood and, and access to God as Christ is dying on the cross. He dies on the cross. Well, we find that there was an earthquake. And over at the temple, a, a truly amazing thing happened. The veil between the holy place and the holy of holies split. And you know how it split? From the top to the bottom. Who tore it? God did. God did. Why was that veil there? That veil was there to limit access. You know who went into that Holy of Holies? Only the high priest. You know how often he went in there? Once a year on the Day of Atonement. And before he went in there, he had to offer his own sacrifice because he was a sinner. You know, the, the, the priests of the Old Testament, they had some limitations. First of all, these priests were sinners. They had to offer sacrifices for themselves. Also, they were mortal. And the, their sacrifices were imperfect. So they had to keep offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And then lo and behold, you just get a guy trained as a, a priest and he gets real experienced at it. You know what happens? He dies. And so then a next generation of priests has to come along. And so you got generation after generation of priests offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice because those sacrifices weren't really effective in taking away sin. But you know what all those sacrifices were pointing to? They were all pointing forward to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ. And when he died, 
That was the, the efficient sacrifice, the sufficient sacrifice. And you know what? We don't need any more animal sacrifice. But we do need to remember what Jesus did for us, don't we? And we also don't need priests. We don't even need a human high priest. There are no more human high priests. There is only one priest that we need today. There's only one mediator, we're told in Scripture, between God and man. You know who that is? The man, Christ Jesus. The God-man, Christ Jesus. He's our mediator. I'm your pastor. I'm not your priest. You don't need to come to God through me. Pastor Chris is your pastor, and Pastor Mark are your pastor. None of us are, need to be your priests, and we're not your priests. We're priests for ourselves. But great news. If you know Christ as Savior, you have access. You've got access to God. Christ is our high priest our mediator, and he has provided that access to God for us. Great news for you. You can have access to God. The key element of being a believer priest is access. Access. You know, you can, you can have a, a wonderful situation in front of you, but if you can't get in, it doesn't do you any good. My wife and I took our three of our grandchildren down to the Detroit Zoo. But in order to get into that place, yesterday we did that, melted just about on the on the asphalt down there. But, but in order to get in there, you had to have a ticket to have that. No matter if you said, man, I, we'd really like to come in. Look, I got these three beautiful little girls here. And I'm such a nice guy. And look at my wonderful wife, who's a terrific grandmother, We'd sure like to come in and see your penguins and see your polar bear and and, and do you have a ticket? No, we had we, we just thought you'd let us in. No, you can't have access. You can't come in. But but thankfully I'd gotten on the internet, had some tickets, took them down, got right in. Got to see the by the way, that penguin is what was worth seeing. Kind of neat. Wonderful. But you know something better than a penguin exhibit? Something better than Detroit Zoo? Being able to talk to the God of the universe. Being able to tell him your problems. Being able to give him your praise. Being able to just talk to the God of the universe. And, and know that one day you'll get to live with him in the tremendous place that he's prepared for us. We have access to one day live with Jesus Christ in glory. In fact, before he went, before he was crucified, before he went back to heaven, remember what he told the disciples? In that 14th chapter of John, he said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, many mansions, and I'm going to go and, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I prepare that place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you be also. And a couple said, well, we don't know where you're going, Lord. How do we know the way? Remember what Jesus said? I'm the way. I'm your access. I'm your access into heaven. I'm your access into the, the, the Father's presence in, in prayer, even right here and right now. As believer priests, we have access to God. In, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says that, we can come boldly to the throne of grace because Christ is our high priest. And he, he's 
atone for us and he understands us he's made it possible for us to come boldly to the throne of grace where we can find mercy and grace and help in time of need we have access can't always get a hold of me even on my cell phone I don't have my cell phone with me right now. It's in that fancy Father's Day gift that I got on my dresser. I sure hope I can find it when I get home. You can't always get a hold of, of your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad. Good news. You can always get a hold of God of the universe. You can talk to him. You can ask for his help. Give him your praise. You're a priest. Jesus made you a priest. You don't need to go through somebody else. If you sin, you blow it. You know what? You can go right straight to God and say, Lord, I blew it. I thank you that Jesus died on the cross, and, and I, I'm sorry that I lost my temper here and, and said those unkind words, and I'm going to apologize to the person that I hurt with my words, but Lord, will you forgive me? And what would the Lord say? He would say, I will. I will. Because if you confess your sin, I'm faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus said that. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. So cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad you got access to God? Jesus made that possible. You're a priest. You don't have to have some priest interpret the scriptures for you. Now, there's advantages in having a, a, somebody that studied the word and, and, and to, to teach you and to be a pastor teacher, to be a Sunday school teacher or Bible school teacher, but you know what? You can read the scriptures for yourself. You can read them for yourself, and if you'll work at it and study, you can also understand them. Teachers are a shortcut, but they're not an absolute necessity. You know who God intends to be reading the Bible? Every single believer priest. He wants to speak to us through his word. He wants to direct us in our life through his word. When uh, Jesus gave the New Testament, he gave it to us in, in, the new, in the common Greek, the Koine Greek. You know, sometimes the, the languages have kind of a high language and a low language of the common man. You know, we don't talk some of the highfalutin, you know, English phrases and language and stuff like that. We teach the, we talk the common language. Well, Greek had the same thing. And, and Greek was, the, the Greek New Testament was given in the common language of the people. The Bible's for everyone. Bible's for every believer to read and understand. The other thing about being a priest, and we need to take, remember this as well, one thing we can do for other people as a priest is we can intercede. We're not a mediator for anybody else. But we can intercede for other people. Isn't it great to have other people intercede for you? To talk to God on your benefit? What a thrill. Have you ever heard somebody pray for you? by name, taking you to the throne of grace. I remember hearing my parents pray for me different times. You know, they, they, they weren't aware of it. They thought I was off in another room. But to hear them pray for you by name, I've heard people pray. Well, what a thrilling thing, isn't it? To have somebody take you by name to the throne of grace, asking for God to help you with whatever you need help for. What a blessing. To have, be able to intercede Sometimes we say to people, well, what, what can I do for you? Say, well, just pray. Just pray. That's a big thing. To be able to pray for people. It's a big thing to do. And it's a big thing to have other people do 
for us as well as, as believer as believer priests. We want to be a healthy church. We need to know that we're called by God to be saints. Special position. Not to be proud of, but, but to take the opportunity. We know we're, we're called, equipped, privileged, and able to serve Jesus Christ. And we know we're to serve the saints. Here's the bottom line, folks. If you're going to be a healthy Christian, we're going to be a healthy church, we need to be obsessed with this. Life is about serving Jesus, not ourselves. And we get over into that area of serving ourselves. We become selfish, stingy, miserable Christians. And we become Christians like that. Our church becomes focused in, focused in. What a mistake. You see, if we're going to be a healthy church and healthy believers, our focus, first of all, needs to be Upward. Glory to Jesus. Praise to Him. Service to Him. And then our focus needs to be outward. Being a blessing to other believers. And being faithful in taking that gospel of grace out to a world that desperately needs to hear. Heavenly Father, thank you for working in, in our lives, drawing us to yourself, these things we talked about here this morning are not something we, we should be proud of, but we should be grateful for and, and recognize the wonderful privilege that you've given to us. Lord, help us to be faithful. Sometimes we say, Lord, we, I'm no saint. Well, yes, we are. Sometimes we mean we're just not being very faithful in serving you, and that's not what you want. You want us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful, Lord. Help us to serve. Help us to be exemplary believer priests down here. Help us to take wonderful, wonderful advantage of the opportunity we have to have access into your presence no matter where we are, no matter what's going on in our lives, to call upon you and also call upon you for others. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.